This episode of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast is brought to you by the Minnesota Gardening Club. You can join today and get two weeks free at minnesotagardeningclub.com. Hello and welcome to the Minnesota Gardening Podcast, my friend. It is an honor to have you here with me today for the fourth episode of the 2022 Springs, the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. And today we have another awesome guest for you. Crystal Schmidt is, if you are on Instagram at all and in the gardening community there, you will know her probably as Whole Fed Homestead on Instagram and she is just an absolute wealth of knowledge and as we continue through this journey and I hope you listen to all the episodes in this season go back to episode one with dream of wild health and continue through to make sure you get all of the great knowledge that is being dealt out here in this season and with crystal we talk about planning for preserving food and so she is just an absolute expert on preserving food in a variety of different ways and gives you a lot of great things to think about as you are working toward planning and getting your garden ready for 2022 and preserving that food so you can last longer throughout the season. So here is Crystal, also known as Whole Fed Homestead on Instagram. All right, I'm really happy to have another really great guest with us today for the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. And we have Crystal Schmidt, and you may uh, know her on Instagram as Whole Fed Homestead, and she just has so much great, incredible content that she puts out every single day. It's just really awesome. So, Crystal, thank you so much for being with us today to talk about preserving our harvests. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you for having me. I think I love talking about preserving more than any other topic, so I am happy to be here. So today, in this season two of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast, we're talking all about seed starting and getting our, our gardens up and running for the year. And I wanted to, a lot of things we talk about with planning and uh, moving forward in gardening is beginning with the end in mind. And so we we kind of have a good idea of where we're, we're going and what we want to accomplish and what goals we want to have happen with our gardens. And so with that, Food preservation is a huge part of that, of what people want to can and dry and freeze and those kinds of things and and where people want to go with things. So what first, Crystal, is your favorite thing to preserve from your garden? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, that's a hard one. I preserve so many things. In fact, I think the majority of my garden is dedicated to things that I plan on preserving. But if you're making me choose one, I would have to say... A veggie loaded marinara sauce. It's something that I make every year and it's a snapshot in time of what's growing in the summer garden. So eating it in the winter feels like summertime and sunshine. And it's, of course, it's a tomato base and then I just throw everything in it. So it's got peppers and onions and even like carrots and green beans and zucchini and of course garlic and lots of herbs. And it tastes so fresh and so delicious. I, I absolutely love it. That sounds amazing. That and you can have a, a great picture of where things were, so you remember the summer that you had and where everything's going. So that's yeah, beautiful. What, I have in the past always done gardening for just meals. I haven't had enough space or haven't done a ton around gardening beyond what we're going to cook for supper mm -hmm. and that type of thing. Just because we haven't been able to do that, but we're 
uh, dramatically expanding the garden for next year. And we're going to work on a lot of preservation and a lot of saving what we grow. And so somebody who is making that transition to just being a starting gardener or that kind of thing to wanting to do more for preservation, what kinds of tips and things do you think people should think about before they take that plunge? Yeah, that's a good question. I think similar to when you're growing for just fresh eating and, you know, eating in season, I think the most important thing is to grow what you love and like grow what your family will actually eat. And especially thinking ahead, and now is a good time to think about this, like take a look at what you're buying from the store right now, especially in winter, and focus on those things and kind of plan for those things. I think a good example for me, like if if you if your family likes pesto and you eat a lot of pesto, well, then you can plant a lot of basil this year and make pesto and freeze it. And if you do a lot of soups and stews and chili and stuff in the winter and you're always using canned diced tomatoes, you can you know grow your own paste tomatoes and learn to can. And I know if you're from Minnesota, you're, you may be eating a lot of sauerkraut. I know that's a common a common thing around <laughs> here. And if you're buying it, you know, you can make that and it's so easy to make and just grow your own cabbages and learn how to how to ferment them. And and like you said, the, the planning ahead and, and think about it now, take a look at what you're eating now, and then factor that into your planning when you're starting your seeds. So Crystal, what does, to give everyone a little idea as to what we're talking about here, what does your garden and your situation look like? Like how, how are you growing? What kinds of things do you grow? What, what do you, what are your goals? We we, we mainly grow in the ground. We have a couple raised beds, but largely we have um, a couple different gardens in the ground. Of course, we grow stuff for fresh eating throughout the the season as much as we can. But I also grow a lot of stuff with preserving in mind. So there's a large part of my garden dedicated to things like potatoes, which we store in a root cellar. But you don't have to have a root cellar to enjoy potatoes, you know, into the the winter months. And, you know, things like carrots and squash and lots of things that I like to freeze, like green beans and broccoli and corn and kale and things like that. So it's a, it's a good mix of both. It's a little bit hard to say how much of each thing because everybody's situation is so different. Everybody's family is so different, what you eat and what you like to eat and how many people you are trying to feed and after doing this for so long, it, it it does come a little bit naturally to me. Like I know how many plants I need to plant of broccoli for us to have fresh eating and for freezing throughout the year. And that's one of those things that I think it is trial and error for a lot of people, right? You try it one year and see if you like it. And if you do, plant a little bit more next year. And if that wasn't enough to get you through the winter, well, then next year, plant a little bit more after that. And I'd say that my garden is kind of a a big compilation of that, just lots of learning over the years of what we like to eat and how we like to preserve it. Um, and it's taken a little while to get there, but it's definitely very doable and it's fun and learning it is fun too. It's, you know, you maybe you mess up sometimes and maybe you don't plant enough and maybe you plant too much, but it's always a fun experiment. How many seasons, how long have you been gardening with preservation in mind? I was just thinking about that. I think I've been gardening seriously kind of on my own in my own space and preserving for about 15 years. So I don't know if that's a lot or a little, but. <laughs> it's definitely enough to have a good handle on it. That's for sure. So what, how long do you think it took you to get a good handle of what you, what you needed? Like how, how many seasons is a good gauge? Is it three or four? Is it, you're still just learning all the time? 
Yeah, I think if you're if you're really trying hard, if that's your goal, if preservation is your goal, I would say a few seasons probably. I think the beginning of my gardening journey, I wasn't focused as much on preservation. Like it was just kind of a fun afterthought hobby. You know, like I have all these tomatoes and now I have to do something with them. And so, you know, I'm forced to to can or, or find a way. And it was more like that at first to just not wanting to waste. But it really morphed for me into kind of a way of life, really. And just watching what you do is incredible and seeing all the different things that you you work on preserving and different methods you have for doing that. So let's go into that a little bit now of what different types of preservation methods should people be thinking about and what can we plan for? What different ways are there for doing it? Yeah, I think I like to think of it kind of as the big five of preserving. There are five main common ways to do things, of course, canning freezing, dehydrating, fermenting. And then one that I think is a little bit overlooked is cold storage or dry storage of goods. That was, uh, you were on top of that question. So <laughs> well, well done. Let's, uh, let's start where, where you ended there. So let's start with cold storage. I was over at my whiteboard writing them down. So I make sure to get back to, <laughs> to all of them there, but uh, let's start with cold storage and what kinds of things do do well in cold storage and what do people need to know on the front end? Yeah, so for cold storage, um, and, and I like to almost describe it more as dry storage because you don't necessarily have to have a cold environment. You don't have to have a root cellar to store some of these quote unquote cold storage vegetables. So something like potatoes, you kind of do. They need a, a colder environment like a root cellar, like 40 to 50 degrees to store for a long time. But if you don't have that, if you just have like a, a closet in your house that's dark and cold, you can store potatoes for, you know, a month or two after you harvest them, which is quite a bit of time. Of course, then there's like squash is a big one. That's one of my favorite vegetables for storing because they're so easy. They require almost nothing. Of course, you want to cure them out in your field after you grow them like you normally would, but just throw them in a closet. They don't need cold, really. And everything will last longer if it is in cold, but you don't have to. They are they are just fine at like a room temperature thing. Same with onions, same with garlic. Those things store wonderfully. We kind of keep them in just a dry, dark closet on the main floor of our house. And then two things I think about for cold storage are also carrots and beets. Those we store in a fridge. We actually keep an extra fridge just for cold storage fruits and vegetables through the winter. We harvest our carrots, we harvest our beets, kind of give them a light rinse, like knock the dirt off of them and then put them in some plastic bags and they will store for months. I'm still eating carrots now that we harvested last October, it probably was. Wow. And can we jump back just a little bit to the squash and pumpkins and just let everybody know what, what do you mean by curing? Yeah. So after you, you know, you can harvest a squash whenever you want, but you will always have the best squash if you let it sit out in the garden especially at the end of our growing season here in Minnesota, Wisconsin, this zone four area, when we get those cool nights of fall, that helps the squash become sweeter. And then after you pick it, um, if you leave it outside in the sun for a week or two, it gets kind of a harder shell, a more resistant shell on the outside and will resist bacteria and will store longer. So what we do is we gather all our squash, we put them in some wagons or on a couple tables we set up and keep them out in the sun. And then after a couple weeks, we bring them into our, our house. So is that the same thing if, you know, you had 
a patty pan squash that you planted and then kind of forgot about it because it got stuck under the weeds and then you left it there. And as you're cleaning stuff up in the fall, you happen to find it and are still storing them up in your kitchen, you know, all hypothetically, is that the same thing? So I'm, I'm talking more about winter squash, of course, but there are some summer squash I've heard that will kind of develop a harder outer rind like that and will actually store more than a, like a fresh zucchini would. I'm shocked that these have all stuck around for the winter. So it has become a, uh, a bit of a trial and experiment now for everything. So that is beautiful. So let's talk a little bit about one that scares me and that's fermenting. And I don't know why I have a mental hang up on fermenting, but we've been starting to try it and it's all been awesome, but I haven't done a ton of fermenting. Yeah, I think, I think that's a common feeling. It does seem a little bit intimidating, but really it's got to be one of the oldest preserving techniques and something that people have been doing forever, really. And, you know, as long as you follow a direction and follow, you know, measure your ingredients and measure your salt, you really, you almost can't mess it up. It's, it's pretty easy. I have, uh, part of the reason why I have a hang up on it, because I've absolutely messed up sauerkraut before. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't, uh, I didn't keep my first uh, attempt at it. I didn't keep everything submerged as well. So I don't think I've gone back to that, but I've been learning a lot from our mutual friend, Stephanie Thoreau's uh, cookbooks and working on can it and ferment it. And I've been slowly, but surely I have some Brussels sprouts that I fermented and those mm. are just incredible. I really, really like them. They're spicy and good. What, what kinds of, vegetables and produce should people think about for fermenting that may be a little different than what they've normally done with, you know, sauerkraut and pickles? Yeah, I think I, I love doing sauerkraut. That is like the main one we do every year. We do regular green. I do some red sauerkraut and even some beet sauerkraut. That's red cabbage and beets together. And that's really good. But I do think that cabbage is not the easiest thing to ferment. And I'm not an expert fermenter by any means. But if you are a beginner and you're really worried about it, some things that are easy are like like larger particle things. So think like sliced carrots or sliced beets or sliced radishes. Those root vegetables are really fun ones. And even people who don't like radishes, for example, usually love fermented radishes. They're they're all great things to start with. And then next one is dehydrating and drying things. Yeah. So the the most the biggest thing that I dehydrate every year is herbs. I do love dehydrating herbs, but if you're a big, especially if you're a beginner, try cherry tomatoes. Those ones are another fun one to do. You just cut them in half, put them on your dehydrator trays. And then once they're done and they're kind of crispy, you can use them for all sorts of things like pastas and egg dishes and even just snacking. They're fun, but you don't have to have a, a dehydrator to dehydrate some things. Um, like herbs is a good one. You can string them up upside down and not all herbs dry really well this way, but the woodier, uh, more tougher ones like rosemary and sage and thyme all do pretty well like this. Just tie them up in a bundle and hang them somewhere that gets some airflow. And in a week or two, they'll be dry and you can package them up. As I follow you along uh, with what you've got going on, you have just an absolute behemoth of a dehydrator, which is just amazing. Not saying that people are are new that should go that direction, but what kinds of equipment should people be looking for if they want to dehydrate things well? Yeah, if you want to, the, the main thing that I like in a dehydrator, well, there's two things. So one is a temperature control. 
I like that because when I'm doing something tender like herbs, I can set it at a lower temperature and then I don't cook the herbs and they retain kind of that fresh herby flavor a little bit better as opposed to when I'm doing something like fruit or tomatoes where I might want a little bit more heat to speed up the drying and to also make them last a little bit longer in storage. So I like a dehydrator with a temperature control. And then the second thing is a fan that spans all the trays kind of evenly. There's a really common like round dehydrator with the heating and the fan element on the bottom. And those are really inexpensive and they're good for beginners. But the reason I don't like them is because the fan and the heat is at the bottom and it has to go through all of the trays to get to the trays at the top. So you have to do a lot of tray shuffling and things take longer. And then when they take longer, they don't dehydrate as well. So if you can find one, look for one that blows over all of the trays at once. So what would that look like? Is it a horizontal kind of thing or how does that? Yeah, the one I have, it's an Excalibur. It's a great brand. I love it. I've had mine going on 10 years now and it's going strong and it's just, it's kind of a big box and the fan is in the back of it. I'll put a link in the show notes so people can find it as well for there. <laughs> and do you put, and when I said you had a behemoth of a machine, I was talking about the freeze dryer. Is that something you put in this category or is that not something you would, obviously not for first time gardener kinds of things, but is that, that is just an amazing process? Yeah, I've just been recently dabbling in freeze drying. I got a freeze dryer, which you're right, it is a big behemoth of a of a machine. It's kind of like a, a small refrigerator, really. I would say definitely not something a beginner preserver or a beginner gardener needs, but it sure is fun. And it's it's really unique. It's it's not comparable to drying like in a dehydrator. It's it's not comparable to anything else. It's it's kind of its own preserving technique. It really is. And what kinds of things do you do in there? You know, I just, I've only had it a month or two, but I have a whole list of things that I'm looking forward to trying this year from the garden, especially some of the things that don't preserve well in other ways, like broccoli. And I've seen people do herbs in it, even though herbs do preserve well in a lot of other ways. There's just no shortage of things you can do in it. Potatoes in all different ways, like hash browns and mashed potatoes. It's, it's so cool. And you can do other things as well, meats and, and fruits and and whatnot. It's not limited to vegetables. That uh, kind of takes us to our next of your five. So we've talked about cold storage. We've talked about fermenting. We've talked now about dehydrating. And so freezing, and I think this is my favorite one. Freezing is, I think, really underused by a lot of folks. Yeah, I agree. I, I would say that freezing is probably my favorite way to preserve most things, especially like the greener vegetables. I don't always care for like canned green beans or canned corn or canned carrots and that kind of thing, but I love all of those frozen. Yeah, totally with you. So what what kinds of things do you like to grow? And is there anything that people should be thinking about as they're growing vegetables this summer for freezing? Yeah, I think I love freezing broccoli. I think it's fantastic. I know everybody always romances the homegrown tomato and how they're so much better than store-bought, but I'm like, have you ever had homegrown broccoli and have you ever frozen it? It is so good. It is just worlds better than buying frozen broccoli from the store. So I think that's a really kind of underappreciated frozen vegetable. The main thing that I freeze every year from my garden is green beans. That's a, a big one. And it's kind of a, I think it's funny, it's it's a little bit of a heated topic in the growing and preserving world because there's a handful of people that that swear they don't like frozen green beans. 
And I always, I always tell them, I think you're doing it wrong. I think you might be overcooking them before you freeze them. Cause you need to in general blanch vegetables before you freeze them. And my kind of not secret technique, but the thing that I think makes a great frozen green bean is if you steam blanch it instead of water bath blanch it, it seems a little bit gentler and your beans will come out of the freezer being crunchy. I'm not going to say they're exactly like eating fresh beans out of the, out of the garden. You know, you have to manage your expectations there, but they're so good. And I just, I delight in eating them all winter long. The other thing I really love to do is herbs. I do a lot of frozen herbs and herb blends. That's kind of kind of fun to do. And then squash. I know I talked about storing squash in a cold storage, but I actually also like to freeze squash. And so I'll roast them up and then puree them and freeze the puree. And it's it's analogous to like a canned pumpkin. So anything you would use canned pumpkin for, you can use frozen pureed squash for. Those are kind of my big ones anyways. And back on your broccoli conversation there is that my... One of my favorite things that tastes completely different than store-bought that I really like to freeze that we used way too fast, and I've got a bunch of them growing now for next year, is celery. Um, yeah. Like homegrown celery is just really, really good. And so it's completely different than what you get at the store, and it, it works really well. And so I one thing that we did differently with the celery this year is that we did a lot of like early – prep kinds of things for our food so that they're really easy to freeze. And so we, you know, diced a bunch of onions and diced up and chopped up a bunch of celery so that when we have, you know, every other recipe that calls for celery and onions to be sauteed before you add the ground beef or whatever you're doing, that those were already ready. And we just take them out of the freezer and toss them into the pan and, and saute them from that, from that perspective. And it's worked out. We've used a lot more of our food that way by having it, making it easy for our preparation. Is that something that you do like along those lines or what can you recommend for people to make utilization of this preserved vegetables easier? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a fantastic idea, especially one thing to to take into consideration, especially with freezing. And you mentioned it, how you dice up the celery to have ready to go. And that's a great idea and it makes it useful. The thing that I like to do with celery is actually freeze it in sticks. I think any time that you are creating more surface area by cutting something into a smaller piece, you increase the risk of getting it freezer burned or just not having as high of quality. And that's not a big issue if you're going to be using it pretty quickly. Like you said, you are, you know, already used up yours from last year. But if you plan to store it in the freezer for you know, a year or more. I like to to generally keep things in a little bit bigger pieces and then cut them smaller when I go to use them. And yeah, it's not as handy, but it does sometimes make for a, a little bit better quality. Yeah, and still easy to use that way. So that yeah, will, absolutely. Yeah. So then, last one is I think the big one that most people really keep in mind as they're thinking about preservation of vegetables is canning. And I think that a lot of folks know about canning tomatoes and those, but what are other vegetables that people as they're planning out their gardens should be thinking about that are great for canning? Yeah. In general, don't love some canned vegetables as much as I love them. For example, frozen, like I said, I'm not somebody who cans corn or beans or carrots and stuff like that. But I know there are a lot of people that do. So if you like those things, like if you, even if you buy a can of those things from the store and you enjoy eating them, you should absolutely consider canning your own of those. 
One thing that I really love to do and I think is great for beginners as well is pickled vegetables and not just cucumbers. You know, uh, cucumber pickles are great too, but there are a lot of different vegetables that pickle and that can be canned as pickles that do really well. Things like green beans, even yellow wax beans do good as pickles, beets, pickled beets, pickled hot peppers, pickled um, cauliflower people even do. I think that's a really fun way and a fantastic thing for beginners to do as well. Pickling is a great a great thing to jump into canning with if you've never done it before. Right. And those, I mentioned my pickled Brussels sprouts earlier, but that was uh, not so smart because those definitely fall on the canning pickles side of things <laughs> and on the fermenting side of things. I was just so excited about them. So they're really tasty. So that is really great. Do you do a lot of pre- making like i my, one of my goals for the garden this summer is to can bloody mary mix so i love bloody marys and so yeah. we're doing a lot of things to put that all together and have that ready do you do you do a lot of that kind of thing do you recommend it like how do you how would one plan for those different types of recipes and and things that they're looking for yeah, I think th there are so many fun things you can do and so many fun things you can can, like Bloody Mary Mix is a great example of that. I think if I could give one piece of advice, when you're looking for more unique things or wanting to can things with multiple ingredients, is that it's really important to follow a, a trusted res recipe from a reputable source. Probably the best source is the USDA or the National Center for Home Food Preservation. Those are kind of the gold standard. There are, there's a lot of bad canning advice out there and a lot of dangerous canning advice out there. So I wouldn't recommend just following anything you see on the internet, but do look at some of those reputable sites because there are some really fun, really interesting ideas that you can find out there. That is really, really great advice. So thanks for that, Crystal. As we think about what people want to grow for preserving next fall, what should people be worried about specific varieties of things? Like are there, uh, let's take potatoes for cold storage. Are there, are there potatoes that store better than others? And is that different from one year or the next, depending on weather or like how, how should people be looking at that? Yeah, that's a great point. There are, as far as varieties within a crop, there are definitely ones that store better, process better than others. For example, green beans, are a good one. There are some varieties that freeze better, some varieties that can better than others. Those are maybe things that you might learn by trial and error. Although I can tell you one of my favorites for freezing is called Jade. It's a really common green bean, I think really easy to find, but that has been a really reliable freezer bean for me. Yellow wax beans do not freeze well. They do not pressure can well, but they do pickle well. So if you freeze them, you'll be disappointed. But if you pickle them, <laughs> you'll enjoy it. Onions are, are another one. When you're looking at seeds for growing, they will typically say on the packet, I found of onions that, you know, these are a good storage variety. Things like the sweeter onions, the Walla Walla, the Spanish ones are not long stores and not great for that. But there are lots of varieties, especially ones that grow really well here in our zone four in Minnesota, Wisconsin, that, that will store a long time. Same thing with carrots too. I find that on the packets of seeds, they typically tell you if this carrot is going to be a good one for storing or not. And I always try to seek out the ones that are because they taste good fresh too, but then I know that they're going to store. Similar with squash, if you want to store squash for a long term, something like a Hubbard, a spaghetti squash, or even a butternut is going to store a lot longer than something like an acorn squash or 
uh, like a delicata squash. You know, I even have, I think I have a spaghetti squash in my closet from not this past year, but the year before's garden. I'm not saying it's probably wow. the best quality squash, but I think I could probably eat it. Like, I think it's still good inside. That's incredible. And are there any resources or any places that people can go for? And we'll put some links in the show notes for this as well. But do you have any trusted resources for looking for varieties of things that will store or freeze well at all? You know, I don't think I've ever seen a comprehensive resource like that, but I think a good place to start is just looking at the seed catalogs, looking at the websites and and taking note, like actually read the description of the seed and see if they say anything about that. Um, especially a lot of the more heirloom varieties, I think tend to be maybe a little bit better suited for preserving because people have been preserving them for a long time. You know, they were tried and true varieties, but I think Seed companies and seed packets is a great place to start for that information. Well, Crystal Schmidt, thank you so much for being here and talking and preserving with us. Is there, before we get to a couple of other things, is there anything about preserving that I did not ask you that you really think that people should know? Hmm. You know, I don't think so. I think it's, it's just such a fun thing to do. You know, preserving food, especially food that I grew with my own two hands makes me feel like a rock star. And even if I fail, even if I don't get it a hundred percent right, it's still such a cool thing to do and to learn and an, an amazing skill. So I think you, you can't go wrong and just jump in because it's a lot of fun. I love that. Crystal, you've got a uh, book coming out this summer. Can you tell people at least a little about that and what, what, what's going on there? Yeah, you bet. I have, I wrote a book. It's the first book I've ever written. So that's pretty exciting. It's coming out this summer. I can't spill the beans on the exact topic, but it is a preserving book. And in an, another month or two, I'll get to tell you all about it. Beautiful. Awesome. So Crystal, where can people find you to learn more? What's the best place to get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me at wholefedhomestead.com. That's my website. But the real party is on Instagram. Like you said in the beginning of the show, I share a lot of our daily lives and what we're growing and what we're preserving and eating and projects on our homestead on Instagram. And my handle there is wholefedhomestead. Well, thank you so much, Crystal, for being with us and make sure everybody gives her a follow over there. Not that uh, I'm sure that everybody listening here is already following you because it's just awesome. So thank you so much, Crystal, and have a wonderful rest of your day. You bet. Thanks for having me. All of the links and show notes for this season's episodes are available at minnesotagardening.com. So just click on the spring 2022 season, which is season two of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast, and you'll be able to see all that information and click where you need.